do talk more about the coalition. Friday, October 6th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and professional crowd nota taster, and with me today are Paul Peters, civil engineering master's student and Cherry Baudet's fashion advisor, and my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and stateless, disgusting milkman, Gordon Derrick. <laughs> I object to one of those words in that description. <laughs> can, you, can you explain to our uh, our listeners why you are a stateless, disgusting milkman today, Gordon? I'll is the stateless bit which is I've lost my passport so I have no passport at the moment and they won't give it back to you they won't give it back to me it's in a sealed box in the local council office I took my passport to the mobile phone shop because I'd also lost my mobile phone so I went to get a new phone took my passport as ID but there was a big queue at the shop so I left and I was going to go back the next day at which point I discovered my passport wasn't in the house so I went up to the phone shop got a new phone put in the sim card listened to my messages which I'd been missing and turned out that somebody who'd found my passport in the street had left a message for me and he'd taken the passport to the police station and the police station is in the same building as the council office and they told me that they handed the passport into the council the council then said oh well we, we put all our passports in that box over there which is sealed and, and won't be emptied again till monday morning and if it's a foreign passport which obviously mine is it'll get posted to the embassy so yeah sometime next week i'll now be making my first trip to the british embassy in the hague to pick up my passport and why are you a milkman i answered a call for, for milk right? so molly put you out a request that, yeah. for milk this one and i brought milk and that's I feel like I've discharged my duty. <laughs> <laughs> he did show up with, with just a tiny container of milk, which was very much appreciated because otherwise I would have had no tea and I would be a more deplorable person than I usually am on the podcast. <laughs> so, Paul, you were commenting on Cherry Baudet's fashion choices this week. Which what? we should describe to people for anyone who's missed the appearance of Thierry Baudet in Parliament this week. There was a uh, debate going on about Janine Hennis involvement in a scandal in Mali and Thierry Baudet was one of the participants in this debate but he showed up in a military vest rather than a suit nice jacket yeah. and yeah. suit for no reason I mean there was yeah. no explanation yeah. he just yeah. Yeah. Vest with, with fake grenades hanging with off fake it. grenades yeah. and, and some uh, military boots I believe he showed yeah. as well yeah. just to make a point that the uh, equipment of the Dutch military is in deplorable state why he needed to dress up like an army man I don't know but yeah. the images are funny yeah, kind of made a statement, didn't he? He's playing to the gallery of the people who follow him on social media. Yeah. He's basically turning the Dutch Parliament into a one-man meme factory. Military Baudet. Yeah. I don't know how he got all that gear into Parliament, given that uh, it takes me half an hour to get through security when I just take my phone and my laptop. So. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised with that too. How can he bring a grenade to Parliament? It's a fake. I assume it was a fake grenade. I hope it was a fake grenade. So did everybody enjoy yesterday's weather? Because it was deplorable. I stayed inside all day. Yeah. No, I didn't have to leave the house either, of course, because uh, my children were off school. Well, you oh. were one of the lucky people because there was 754 kilometers of traffic jams mm-hmm. yesterday due to the weather. And uh, trees fell on the train tracks, so there were a lot of train delays. Yeah, and there was a strike going on of teachers in The Hague. Yep, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that later in the podcast. Uh, how, how Did they remain dry? Uh, while I don't think they the remained streets? dry, but quite a few a of them turned A lot of them turned, turned out. out. I got stuck in a traffic jam actually leaving The Hague because it happened to coincide with when all the teachers the buses full of teachers were leaving The Hague. All the buses obviously had to stop because the teachers on the back row kept misbehaving and eating sweets, so they had to stop the bus until everyone had calmed down. 
Sadly, we have to start the podcast off today with some sad news because the Amsterdam mayor, Eberhard van der Laan, passed away uh, yesterday evening. Um, the news was announced this morning. We discussed this last week or two weeks ago, I think, that he had stepped down as his, uh, yes. from his duties as mayor due to his uh, lung cancer. And yes, because now... I think he said that his little extra time that um, it was, was up, the king had visited him during the week and uh, Mark Ritter, so it was fairly clear that uh, he didn't have long, sadly. Yeah. So our uh, our thoughts are with his uh, his family and friends and the, the, and the city of Amsterdam. In other news, this week we will bring you the latest in the resignation of the Dutch defense minister, update you on the outcome of the vote in the first chamber concerning length of stay for immigrants, and, for once, Dutch sports have had a success story with Max Verstappen. In our discussion, we'll tell you why you may have gotten a box of iodine tablets in the mail. Defence Minister Jeanine Hennis resigned on Tuesday after a highly critical report into the deaths of two soldiers in Mali. A third soldier was seriously injured. The Safety Board said, quote, serious deficiencies were responsible for an accident in July 2016 when a 60mm mortar set off a grenade during a practice session. The report found the weapons weren't properly tested or kept in cold storage during transit. It also blamed the prevailing can-do culture in the military which encouraged senior commanders to take unacceptable risks with soldiers' safety to ensure missions succeeded. Chief of Staff Tom Middendorp also resigned, though his term of office was due to end next Thursday anyway. Was uh, Hannes's resignation expected, Gordon? Well, this scandal blew up quite quickly at the end of last week. Uh, last Thursday, the Safety Board came out with its report and it pulled no punches. It was written by Chibo Yaustra, who also did the report into MH17 and um, he said quite clearly who was responsible and didn't mince his words. And the fact Families are very upset as well. Gretje Groenbroek, the mother of one of the soldiers, said she'd had no contact at all from the military top brass and initially they told her that it was a workplace accident. And then Hennis compounded the problems really over the weekend when she gave some quite clumsy performances uh, in media interviews where she seemed to be more concerned with the impact on her job than the fact that two soldiers had died. So I think by the time that it was debated in Parliament in Tuesday, her resignation was more or less inevitable uh, because the alternative was that two parties had put in for a no-confidence vote, which would have been a real test for the coalition before it took office. Yeah, and uh, several uh, MPs admired that she at least uh, came to Parliament to debate about the issue and uh, after that send in her resignation rather than just resign before there was even a debate. That's true, although I suppose I think you can see when you look to the debate that she made up her mind beforehand that she was going to resign, so that gave her a bit more of a free hand to stand up and defend herself. But I think you're right, she, she left with a lot of credit, I think, because you know she did the right thing, she took ministerial responsibility, and yeah, she, she gave a quite spirited defence of herself in, in Parliament. And who's the new uh, defence minister now? The new defence minister now is Klaas Dijkhoff, who's the junior justice minister, who's going to take on her duties until the new government is announced, which is probably going to happen next week. So at that point, we'll have a new defence minister. And the chief of staff of the military also resigned. Right, Gordon? Why did he uh, step down? Yes, Tom Middendorf resigned, saying that he felt he was responsible too, and the safety board had said that the top ranks of the military and political establishment were to blame. But I think it was a bit of a strategic resignation as well. I think Middendorp was keen to keep up the pressure on the new cabinet coming in to increase spending on defence, which is a process that started, of course, under Janine Hennis. She was the first defence minister in decades to secure more money for the military. Yeah, and we're getting a new cabinet next week uh, anyway, Hopefully. right? Hopefully. So, I mean, would have Hennis have, have stayed on? I mean, what would have happened with this? I think with? she was probably, she, over the years, she'd become one of Ritter's most trusted members of his cabinet. So I think he voted for her. He, exactly, the, uh, he voted for her. Yeah, she was election. number two on the Fafe Days list for the election. And I think she was one of the first names on the team sheet for the new cabinet until this blew up last week. So, yes, she would have been defence minister. So and now I think certainly she won't have that job. And there's big question marks over whether she'll be in cabinet at all. And I think more likely that she'll maybe not be in cabinet immediately and she'll have to wait until the next resignation which given the faith of days track record probably will be quite soon 
When, uh, when Dijkhoff was appointed, there was this peculiar situation that his resignation was already sent in six months ago, even before he was appointed. And now, in uh, two weeks' time, his resignation will be accepted by the king. These uh, <laughs> demissionary yeah. cabinets are all very weird. In other political news, last week we discussed the Erstekammer's vote on residency requirements for immigrants. The plan, which was backed by the Tweedekammer in June, would have extended the length of time immigrants have to stay in the country before they can apply for citizenship or permanent residency from five years to seven. Though the move was included in the previous coalition agreement, the PVDA retracted their support after the elections. This left the bill's fate hanging in the balance of the Five Tick Plus Party, whose senator, Jan Nagel, said he was unsure of how he felt on the subject despite his party's manifesto calling for an increase to 10 years. Nearly 600 international residents knew how they felt on the subject, however, and the pressure convinced Nagel to vote against the measure, striking it down. So the angry expats won the day, basically. Yes, and it's terrible that we had to have something hanging in the balance of the 5-2 plus party. And while Gordon updated you earlier on how the democratic process is dragging on here in the Netherlands, mayors in the Netherlands want less democracy. Only 10% of the country's mayors want to move to an elected system. Currently, mayors are officially chosen by the monarch, though in recent years, city councils have had more of a say in the process, and mayors are often appointed after a behind-the-scenes negotiation between political parties. The Deze Sesestuk has proposed electing mayors directly, but in a survey conducted by broadcast show Newsour, two-thirds did not support the change. Yeah, and the other big political event this week, obviously, as we mentioned at the top of the show, was the uh, teacher strike. Yeah, the uh, autumn weather wasn't the only thing storming in The Hague. The primary school teachers were on strike. Nearly 50,000 of them turned up, despite the weather, to protest wages and working conditions. Primary school teachers in the Netherlands are paid less than their counterparts at secondary schools, and they want to close that wage gap. They're demanding 1.4 billion euros more to increase salaries and reduce workloads. Should the new government not provide the funding, they are planning a two-day strike later this year. So, Gordon, your kids were out of school then. Yeah, they were both out of school. I mean, my eldest son is actually in secondary school, but his secondary school is attached to a primary school, so all the teachers in the in the whole school went on strike. So, yeah, they, they, they had the day off. But the teachers are going to get, you know, have already made a lot of uh, headway on this because they're the, the outgoing government promised them 270 million euros, and now the, the word is that the incoming government has agreed to one of their demands as they wanted half a billion euros for uh, measures to reduce their workload. So the question is now whether they'll still go ahead with the planned two-day strike in November. A cold case team led by retired special FBI agent Vince Pankok has opened an investigation to find the identity of the betrayer of Anne Frank. The writer of the world-famous diary was in hiding with her family and others on Prinsengracht in Amsterdam during World War II, when in August 1944 their location was reported to the Nazis. The Frank family was deported to several concentration camps. Only Anne's father, Otto Frank, survived the war. Despite several investigations by the police, Nazi hunters Simon Wiesenthal, journalists and historians, and countless theories, the identity of the betrayer remained a mystery. According to the investigation's website, an investigation by a team of forensic investigators using cold case techniques and supported by artificial intelligence was never done. Pankok told the Volkskrant newspaper he got inspired to open the investigation when he was told about the unsolved crime while he was working on another case in the Netherlands. New information has already already been discovered when Pankok found a list of Amsterdam Gestapo informants in an archive in Washington DC. Pankok also hopes the use of big data from archives all over the world will produce new lines of inquiry. 
Paul, they the Anne Frank Museum has its own theory, and this came out like a, a year or two ago, right? Yeah, indeed. Uh, the Anne Frank Museum did their own investigation, and their conclusion was that it is likely that Anne Frank hasn't been betrayed at all. Their theory is that the uh, company that was housed in front uh, in the front part of the Prinsengracht sold illegal goods or products. The investigation and search of the building following these acquisitions led to the discovery of the Anne Frank family. Mm. And if people are interested in following this case, where can they find more information? The Cold Case team opened a website, coldcasediary.com, where you can follow the team's findings and also submit tips or extra information that might be useful for the team's investigation. They plan on uh, revealing the betrayer's identity on August 4th, 2019, the 75th anniversary of Anne Frank's uh, arrest. We'll put a link to that website in the line notes as well. How do we feel about this? I'm not sure that I I like the idea of doing some sort of unveiling of of the betrayer in this sort of like media spectacle fashion. You don't want to know who is the uh, betrayer? Yeah, it's not that I don't want to know necessarily, but like what, I mean, this person is, is I'm sure, dead by now. So the only thing that's going to happen is, is that, you know, a lot of reporters are going to show up at the house of their grandchildren or children or whatever and like make terrible accusations against them because they, you know, their great grandfather betrayed Anne Frank. I don't know. It just, it all, it seems a bit distasteful to me, I think. Well, so I think it's just one of those uh, things where you know, people are always interested in history and uh, you, you always want to have kind of the definitive version, even though you never can. It's one of those cases that it's such a high profile case that you're always going to have people who, are, who want to track down what actually happened. Dutch troops have returned home from St. Martin after spending three weeks helping to clear up the devastation left by Hurricane Irma. Around 100 marines, accompanied by soldiers, air force staff, medics and border guards, set up checkpoints and armed patrols to stop looting in the chaotic first few days. They described how they worked 20-hour days clearing trees and stranded yachts from roads so emergency supplies could be distributed. But they said the situation was now stable and local authorities could be left to the job of repairing the damage, which is expected to cost a billion euros altogether. In keeping with tradition, every member of the team was handed a red rose as they stepped back on Dutch soil. In sport now, finally some good news for Dutch Formula 1 driver Max Verstappen. After months of troubles with his engine, having bad luck and being on a Ferrari sandwich diet, Verstappen won the Grand Prix of Malaysia on Sunday in what some commentators described as an incredible performance. Verstappen, who turned 20 this week, started the race at third place, surpassed Raikkonen in the first turn and Lewis Hamilton at the start of the fourth lap, leaving behind the world champion for the rest of the race. Verstappen has had a troublesome year so far, dropping out of seven Grand Prix due to technical problems or driver errors. He said he hopes the poison chalice is now empty. Verstappen became the youngest driver ever to win a Grand Prix after he won the race in Barcelona last year. Can we just explain to our listeners what is a Ferrari sandwich diet? Last uh, race in uh, Singapore, uh, Max Verstappen uh, got involved in an accident with two Ferrari cars. Uh, He got sandwiched by them and uh, had to stop the race because his car was so damaged that he couldn't uh, proceed anymore. So that's what a Ferrari sandwich uh, diet is. It sounds like an excellent way to lose weight or race. Or or lose races, yeah. (laughs) Or lose races, yeah. Pretty unpalatable, though. So, Paul, can you you tell us about the update in my my favorite sports story ever? The (laughs) ABBA score penalty (laughs) kickball? 
whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, unfortunate teams have to wait another week to hear if they have to uh, replay the match. Uh, for our listeners who missed this, an amateur match ended in a penalty shootout, but for some reason, the referee decided not to use the common ABAB system, but rather the ABBA system, the ABBA system. This led to an investigation by the Dutch Football Association who ordered that the match results should stand, but the shootouts had to be redone. FC Lisse did not agree with this and went to court over this, but the judge, however, needs extra time to consider the case and a ruling is expected on October 9th. Do you think the judge is going to take our advice from last week and allow them to have the penalty shootout in the courtroom? That's the only logic solution to it this. It really is. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think it's going on so long he's going to send out an SOS soon. <laughs> A medicine that's been proven to significantly improve the chances of surviving skin cancer won't be made available to patients. That's because its patent has expired and manufacturers are no longer producing it. The Feu Medical Centre in Amsterdam carried out a 10-year study into the drug, which is injected into cancerous melanoma cells to boost the immune system. They discovered that 2 out of 30 patients who were given the drug developed incurable secondary cancers, whereas in a control group where they weren't given the drug, of 20 patients, 6 died and the disease was earned in 3 others, so it was a much better survival rate if they had the drug. Why did it take so long to come up with this study? Well, the failure explained that melanoma is a very aggressive cancer with a high recurrence rate and sometimes it comes back after several years. So the studies had to be carried out over a decade to get a realistic picture. Earlier test results were much less encouraging and researcher Tania de Gael told NOS that when that happens, the pharmaceutical industry tends to lose interest and once a patent runs out on a drug, it's no longer profitable, so they stop making it. So what does this mean for patients? Well, they won't get this drug, but uh, Tanya de Krell said that other treatments were constantly coming onto the market and they were looking to repeat the tests on a larger group of patients because it was quite a small sample. I hope something comes out of this. It seems uh, absurd that, you know, you can have something that, that is effective in treating cancer and that's not being made available because they can't figure out how to make a profit on it. The city of Amsterdam has imposed a moratorium on shops catering primarily for tourists. The explosive growth of ticket office, Nutella shops, cheese stalls, bike rental firms and novelty museums is driving out local retailers and shoppers from the city centre and the council decided on Thursday to put a stop to it. The order, which came into force immediately, was agreed in a council meeting behind closed doors to prevent a surge of last-minute applications which would have made the problem worse. Deputy Mayor Kasia Ollengen said the measure was necessary to preserve the diversity of shops in the capital. There's multiple Nutella shops in the city center? Yeah, yeah, there was a Nutella tsunami going on in uh, in, uh, in Amsterdam. You haven't noticed that? No, I can't eat Nutella, so I don't know. On every corner of the street, there is a Nutella shop, and it's 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 insane. Or a pancake shop, or even worse, a pancake Nutella shop. <laughs> <laughs> Nutella, Nutella pancakes are the best pancakes. You no! Are the Nutella pancake stalls right next to the cannabis cafes? So when people get hungry, they have, they can just knit next door. Yeah, they're located strategically in, uh, in the city of mm. Amsterdam, yeah. Um... So, did anybody criticise this decision? No. (laughs) (laughs) A small business uh, association, MKB Amsterdam, supports the measure, but voiced uh, concerns about the secretive way the decision was taken and said they wanted to be uh, reassured that the council won't make a habit of imposing new laws without an open debate which seems fair. Hmm. Uh, The press release said the decision was unanimous, which technically breached the secrecy rule. Lawyers uh, say shop owners who want to contest the order in court will have to wait until they receive an enforcement notice. Yeah, so they can't take um, legal action against the council for this decision. They've got to wait until the council actually takes measures against them. Does this ruling apply to the entire city centre, Paul? The order uh, covers postcode area 
1012 plus 40 surrounding shopping streets, so basically all the city center retail hubs. Uh, earlier bylaw passed in April aimed to cut back the number of ice cream parlors in the center. Uh, currently these are around 70. How do they define what is a shop that caters only to tourists? I think when you have a Nutella sign out of your uh, <laughs> shop, I imagine. Because, I mean, Amsterdamers eat Nutella also, no, I imagine. No, 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 they don't go to a Nutella shop to get their Nutella. Nutella. They go to the Albert Heijn to get a jar of Nutella, Because it's much I cheaper. Yeah. It's much cheaper. Yeah. But the effect of this means that if anyone applies now for a license for a shop then, and the council decides that it's mainly for tourists, then they, they won't get it. But I, I think they're going to set up a, a tourist shop com committee or something that will uh, decide if you, have, if you have a shop uh, only aimed at tourists or not. Yeah, the usual Dutch response to any crisis situation is to form a committee. Yeah, so. exactly. So. And lose all the bonnets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, on a serious, serious point, I mean, if you're a small business person and you've been... Um, and you're planning to set up a tourist shop, which you know I'm sure plenty of people are doing because it's quite a lucrative line of business, and you've done all your research, and you've probably gone to the council as well to get some support and advice on what to do, and then suddenly you discover, and you're just on the point of putting in an application, and now you discover that uh, the council has said, no, there's going to be a blanket ban on tourist shops. I mean, where are you? That seems a bit... Uh yeah, because I do just wonder, I guess, because I feel like any any shop that you put into the city center in Amsterdam is going to be a tourist shop, basically. Yeah, because tourists because are allowed a lot of to, tourists uh, there. To, to enter your shop. So yeah. if I want to open up a cupcake bakery, right? Like, I mean, that's is that a tourist shop? Is it not? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I suppose if you're running a bike rental facility or a or a tchotchke shop where they're selling those stupid <laughs> hats that say Amsterdam across the front of it, right? Mm. That those are pretty definitively that's... tourist shops. But the rest, I think, is a bit questionable. So I'm sort of curious to see what they use for their criteria how much nutella are you selling are, are you stockpiling nutella not like iodine tablets are they gonna have like a you know restriction on how much nutella you can sell like they do with uh, cannabis yes <laughs> you, know, you can only sell 30 grams of nutella, <laughs> <laughs> nutella. You, you can own five nutella plants yeah. <laughs> you need, <laughs> need nutella pus to get into the which is only available to residents we'll be discussing why the dutch government is sending parents iodine tablets after this word from our sponsors here in Holland is a new podcast for internationals living in the Netherlands. It is a twice-weekly podcast which focuses on the stories of internationals and expats. The podcast covers topics from manners to chance encounters, and they interview the Dutch and non-Dutch alike to get their insights, advice and stories, ranging from the funny to the sad. Here in Holland is currently creating an entirely crowdsourced podcast and welcomes your submissions. You can send your stories via WhatsApp. Find more information on their website www.hereinholland.com. The podcast is available in iTunes and other podcasting apps. If you're interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. This week, purple boxes started to appear through the mail slots of parents around the Netherlands. They contain iodine tablets, which are supposed to be administered to children in the case of a nuclear fallout. Previously, the tablets were distributed to anyone under 40 who is living within 20 kilometers of the dual reactor in Belgium, but distribution was extended to include anyone under 18 living within 100 kilometers. So, Gordon, did you get a box of tablets then? I didn't get a box of tablets. I got a letter through the um, letterbox uh, saying that uh, a box of tablets will be delivered some point in the next couple of weeks. I see. Uh, or I think two boxes, because I've got two children who are both under 18. I don't get any because I'm too old. Yes, you're way too, way old. too old. <laughs> My parents live very near uh, to this reactor at Duel. Uh, we can even see the uh, cooling towers uh, from the That's house. nice for them. So yeah. did yeah. they have a... 
tablets then? Lots of tablets? Well, they have no children under 18, so I don't think they have. Anyone well, if they're, it's, it's also if you're living within 20 yeah. kilometers, yeah. if you're under the age of 40, which I'm guessing your parents are not. I'm not sure if it's uh, within 20 kilometers uh, mm. of the yeah. dual reactor, but I will ask them yeah. when I see them. Uh, but if there is a nuclear accident there, then they'll, they'll be the first to know. So you, the, the They will be the first to yeah. die, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> So these boxes that you will be getting, Gordon, contain potassium iodide, which is a salt of stable iodine that can help prevent the absorption of radioactive iodine by the thyroid. Children and young adults, it turns out, are more susceptible to thyroid cancers after radiation exposure. Yeah. If anyone's had one of these letters through the um, box, you'd probably say this as well. The, the, the Dutch for uh, iodine is yodium, the J. So you might got a letter with this word in it. And you don't know quite what it is. That's what it is. So they're really concerned that uh, the dual reactor in Belgium is going to cause some problems in the near future? Not really. Despite some allegations, all of the nuclear reactors, both the two in Belgium, there are several in Germany that are fairly close to the border, and even the Netherlands has a, a power-generating nuclear reactor. I've adhered to uh, strict safety guidelines. They've had no problems. The distribution of the tablets isn't related to any incidents at the plants. The Belgians decided to supply their entire populations with tablets in 20 2016. Also in 2016, the National Institute for Public Health issued a report recommending that the government expand the availability of tablets from the previous recommendation of anyone under the age of 40 living within 20 kilometers of a plant to include anyone under the age of 18 living within 100 kilometers. But they can be doing this for no reason, right? It's not really no reason. It's more that it's not in response to a specific incident, just that because they're now, they are aware of how susceptible children are to thyroid cancer and that these iodine tablets are fairly inexpensive to produce and there's fairly limited side effects, but they can do a lot of good if they're taken within a, the proper amount but of time. But why haven't they been distributing these tablets uh, decades ago then? Well, some of it is, is that they weren't aware of how, uh, you know, there there hadn't been uh, useful research into how, uh, how how these things work. Um, and some of it, I think, was availability. And I, I, th I think most of this is the Dutch just being overly cautious in their, their safety. They're not trusting the Belgians. And they don't trust the Belgians. No. That's also yeah. not true. But you're not supposed to take these tablets when you get them straight away. You're supposed to store them away right for future use yes so the uh the tablets work by uh filling up the thyroid with stable iodine the human thyroid apparently can only absorb so much iodine at one time thus if your thyroid is full it can't absorb anymore thus protecting you from radioactive iodine um yeah it should be noted that the tablets should only be taken if advised by the health authorities uh potassium iodine may have other side effects apparently the tablets can cause uh nausea and and, mm. and dizziness um in some people um and it doesn't protect people from radioactive of iodine from entering the body, um, but it will protect it from entering the thyroid, which is the part of the body that is most susceptible to uh, radioactive iodine. It, you know, it doesn't work 100% of the time. The effectiveness depends on when the tablets were taken, how much is absorbed, how much of a dose of radio radioactive material one yeah. receives. So if there is, is ever an alert uh, gone out um, for some kind of a nuclear leak or accident, then everyone's going to have to be scramble around in the back of their drawers for the iodine tablets they got like 10 years ago and they've forgotten where they put them. Right. Yeah, yeah. behind the Google or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can also get them from the local pharmacy they're apparently quite uh, inexpensive so it's that's true because uh, obviously the, another group that's vulnerable here is pregnant women yeah. obviously the the, the, uh, the authorities have no way of knowing who's pregnant at any one time so that uh, if <clears throat> so that pregnant women have been advised to go and pick up a box from the local pharmacy one of the things that this report said is is that you know you have to make these tablets available also for people who are here on a temporary basis or you know tourists these sorts of things people who have moved in afterwards um yeah people who have children after the the tablets are sent so they're going to put a box of uh, 
uh, iodine tablets in the uh, in the drawer of the hotel room next yeah, to the Bible. Perhaps, yeah, yeah perhaps yeah. they'll start yeah, doing yeah. that. And the other thing as well, I mean, given there's an awful lot of secrecy around you know nuclear plants and, uh, and nuclear technology in general, how are we how can we be sure that we're going to know if there is a kind of some kind of nuclear accident in Belgium? Are the Belgians necessarily going to tell us about it? Well, yeah. if the Belgians have to drive <laughs> on a road to the Netherlands to deliver this news, we may never find out because <laughs> they may end yeah, up with. <laughs> the, it seems the nuclear co- the authorities between <laughs> Belgium and Germany and the Netherlands are in pretty good uh, good contact with each other. Hopefully they won't be traveling by a uh, Italian high-speed train. No, then we'll mm. also be in trouble. Yeah. I, I, I presume that they will pick up a phone and call or maybe send a WhatsApp or something. Next but question is, will we understand them? Will- <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the authorities seem to be in pretty good contact. And of course, people are aware that if something were to happen at a reactor, of course, the, the results don't stop at a border, right? That they that mm. they can... Uh, and, you know, the, the Dutch also... That would also, be convenient. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the nuclear fallout was just like, oh, no, no, this is where the German border is. We have, you know, and of course, the, the Belgians and the Germans have equal concerns about the Dutch reactor. There is one, uh, mm. one power-generating reactor, and there's several uh, uh, reactors that are used for research purposes. There's a very small reactor here in Delft. Yeah, so it, so they 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 seem to be pretty uh, confident, at least from what I understand, that they're not too worried about an accident actually happening, but are just trying to you know prepare people as best they can mm-hmm. in the event that something does happen. Yeah. So they're trying to reassure people by handing out uh, iodine pills. Uh, yes. To, to, that, well, I uh, don't think it's very reassuring. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's yeah. Very worrying, so you take these pills. Yeah, when we tell you take these pills, uh, or you'll die. Well, you're probably going to die cancer. anyway, but at least you won't die of thyroid cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in true Dutch fashion, right? It's not particularly comforting or reassuring but is very efficient so it's very practical and of course the government has set up a website where you can find out whether you're eligible for these uh, iodine pills which we'll put links to in the the line notes yes we will link to that in the line notes yeah so um, if you think you should have been sent tablets or if you have other questions they have set up a website Um, we'll link to it in our liner notes the website is mostly in Dutch there is some uh, English available but uh, Google Translate will do a pretty good job basically you type in your postcode and your age to see if uh, you should be getting these pills. The, I found that the CDC in the U.S. has very good information about the tablets and how they work and what the interactions are and when you should take them and those sorts of things. So we will also link to the CDC page because obviously all of that information is uh, is in English. Yeah, and presumably like all medicine as well, it'll have a, a use-by date. So um, you know, if there's going to be a nuclear accident, it'll happen, have to happen before these pills expire, Yes, right? that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, will, uh, we will tell the Belgians when they, uh, when yeah. they have to... Uh... When they're allowed to have a yeah. reactor yeah. meltdown yeah. and when they're yeah. not. Uh, As I understand that the tablets are good for for a pretty long period Mm. of time. So I presume at some point in the future that the government may tell you to chuck out the ones that you have and refresh them with some new new ones. So are you you nervous for your uh, for your children dying in a nuclear holocaust? Gordon? Um, no, not as, not as nervous as I was when I was growing up when everyone just assumed that we were all going to die in the nuclear holocaust anyway because uh, we thought that Ronald Reagan was going to start World War Three. Yeah. Yeah, but, but now, now we look back and you think uh, that Ronald Reagan was kind of a model of diplomacy and good reason compared to who's in the White House now. Right. But uh, at the time yeah. he was quite, we assumed he was a dangerous idiot who would... Yeah. Who had launched nukes? Yeah, I mean they. they now s- we have the Belgians. Yeah, well, I mean everyone's worried about Belgian reactor meltdown, and what they should be worried about is Trump <laughs> missing North Korea and accidentally nuking the Netherlands. Or like a non-existent country. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to our channel and rate the podcast. This helps new listeners find us, and please share the podcast within your own network. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. Music.